0: Live from Chicago, this is Bruce Dumont with our Beyond the Beltway analysis of national politics featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight featuring commentary by Michael Bauer, co-chair of the Illinois Holocaust and Genocide Commission, Jacob Meister, Democratic attorney and former candidate for the United States Senate, Joseph Morris, Assistant Attorney General during the administration of Ronald Reagan, and Rosanna Polito, longtime opponent of illegal immigration. Our program tonight, coming to you upon our home base at the Museum of Broadcast Communications in Chicago. It's nice to have you with us on a very, very hot night. So I'm so casual tonight. It's uh, close to 100 degrees in Chicago, which I know a lot of people in Texas say, oh, you have a cold wave up there, but it's pretty <laughs> hot in Chicago. Our program, obviously, coming from the museum. Our phone lines are open at 1-800-723-8029. If you want to email me a comment throughout the broadcast, it's Dumont at museum.tv. If you'd like to tweet me a comment, it's at Dumo. And, of course, you can join us on the World Wide Web at beyondthebeltway.com. That's the audio and video portion of this program each and every week. And again, if you want to join us uh, on our Facebook, we're live on Facebook. It's uh, Beyond the Beltway with Bruce Dumont. You can watch this program live again, audio and video. And also, I should mention that uh, if you live in the city of Chicago, would like to hear the radio replay of this broadcast every Sunday night at 10 o'clock on AM 560, The Answer. So there's a lot of ways you can find this place. So there's no excuse missing us. We keep that, we keep the shows up there for years, so uh, it's nice to have you with us tonight live. Uh, you hear me say at the beginning of virtually every show since Donald <laughs> Trump has been president, what a week in politics. And uh, I usually pick a subject and we run there for 15 or 20 minutes. But tonight I'm going to do something. Uh, we have four, uh, you know, very great guests, and I want to ask each of them, uh, because they have passion, and you'll hear a lot of passion tonight. Uh, They have passion in a variety of areas. And so I want to begin with you, Michael Bauer. You're one of our Democrats. What was the most significant political event last week to you and the causes that you care about the most?
1: Well, in a week that had so many, so many developments, clearly one stands out to me, which is the uh, decision of uh, Justice Kennedy to uh, retire from the United States Supreme Court effective July 31. Undoubtedly to me, uh, his successor... Uh, has the potential to have tremendous effect on this country for, for decades to
0: come. Roseanne Polito joins us up from Springfield, Illinois. Roseanne, always great to have you on this show. Thank you. have been on here for a long, long time. Uh, I don't really know what answer you're going to come up with tonight.
2: Well, I was happy to see that the Supreme Court agreed with our president that he, in fact, has the right to defend and secure our country, and they upheld the travel ban that he imposed.
0: Okay, Jacob Meister, one of our other Democrats, former candidate for the United States Senate back in 2010. What do you put at the top also, of your list? Also,
3: I think one thing we will all agree on is this is a week like <laughs> most others are not. Um, this is talk but show I think heaven. The, the greatest the greatest news comes out of the Supreme Court for sure. Uh a whole string of significant decisions, but the the resignation the the, the retirement of Justice Kennedy definitely is going to be one that we're going to be dealing with for a decade or more to come.
0: Joseph Morris also joins another one of our Republicans, former Assistant Attorney General of the United States during the Reagan administration. Your answer.
4: And although I spend an, eno- I spend an enormous amount of my time every day, every week, studying things that happened at the United States Supreme Court. I'll be our dissenter tonight, and I'll say the most important political news of the week is the election campaign for president that just wrapped up next door in Mexico. As a matter of fact, the voters are at the polls right now, and around the time that this broadcast ends, the, the results will start coming in. This is a really important election. It's, it's of the president, of the chamber of deputies, and of much of the Senate of, of Mexico because the candidates in that election present stark differences of viewpoint. It's possible that the people of Mexico will elect a president who will play ball with the president of the United States, whoever the president of the United States is, in terms of of addressing issues ranging from Uh, tariffs and trade to immigration policy. It's also possible uh, uh, that the people of Mexico are going to select a president who is highly antagonistic to the United States and to the economic system and political system of the United States and could set up a situation where Mexico, far from being one of our better allies, is actually a highly antagonistic political entity right on our border. And uh, what happens internally inside of Mexico, I think, is very important to the United States. Because so many of our immigration policies problems relate to the fact that the Mexican economy and other Latin American economies are really poor. They don't have truly free markets. They don't have property rights-based systems that would allow them to have tremendous domestic development. And we often pay the price for that. Plus, their own immigration systems are hostile to the very kinds of interests that they assert against us.
0: Rosanna Polito, I want to let you follow up on that because that was certainly a surprise answer. But again, a very important issue for those that have not been following it. A a candidate who is running for president that you are referencing is a left of center candidate. Left of center candidates have not traditionally done well in that country uh, where there has been a lot of right of center and centrists. And they certainly haven't done too much for the people of Mexico because if they were doing a good job there, not too many of them would be coming north to the United States. And that's so, does this represent, even though he may be a leftist, maybe it represents a different, at least a different viewpoint to deal with?
2: Um, the sentiment, though, right now about America and the pushback uh, to the migrants coming in, that might all play into that. And he said that it was a human right for any Mexican to come over the border and make a life. In America, and uh, which is a national security issue as far as I'm concerned, because Americans already pay $113 billion for free services. And most cities and counties I know are broke. So, uh, and you brought up a good point, though they aren't being taken care of in mexico in mexico we're sending money and then for there decades. we're sending money to south america what are we getting back for our money we're getting abused
0: well we're going to find out whether anybody wants to make the case that what we're doing down there is correct. But, Michael Bauer, I want to ask you, because I know one of your pet issues over the last several weeks on this program has been the treatment of those coming to the United States and the separation of their families. You're very very strongly about that. But let me ask you a question. Yesterday, uh, tens of thousands of people marched in cities all over the United States against the policy that separates uh, children from uh, from, uh, their families. The president signed an executive order less than two weeks ago Basically ending that policy, so has, have it, haven't they already got what they wanted? Now, granted, administratively, it hasn't been carried out yet, but again, didn't they already have what they wanted at the beginning of the protest yesterday
1: well but but I think the issue is just what you just said. the The fact is that that the unification of these families has yet to occur and and in fact, there's a lot of question whether all these families are going to be able to be uh, reconnected. Because, amazingly, DHS has, has lousy records on, on where the parents are and where the children are. And there's, there are at least stories, whether these are true or not, I can't verify. But there are stories that some of the people who have been deported, their kids
0: who were separated from them are still in the United States. But how much of what, this, how much of what has become the national debate is based on hearsay stories. I'm not, I'm not challenging okay. what you're saying, but as you said, you don't know whether those stories are absolutely correct, correct, correct. or not. Right at the moment, a figure that we know is there's at least 2,000 uh, children who have not been reconnected, and we're dealing with a government bureaucracy trying to solve the problem. Yes. And I think no matter what the subject is, government bureaucracy, whether you're right or left, generally can be criticized for being at least slow, if not incompetent. I'm Bruce Dumont, back shortly from Chicago. Are you, planning for, are you planning for the day when you can retire to your dream home in Palm Springs, California? A day surrounded by spectacular scenery, golf courses, a rich cultural life, and great dining? If you are, you'll need a guide, someone who knows where to look, an experienced broker, someone who knows the desert communities of Southern California and all they have to offer. That person is Brian Beard, who's been making dreams come true for over 13 years, selling over $100 million in real estate, including celebrity and architecturally significant homes to the rich and famous, and more importantly, to people just like you. Brian's company, Caldwell Banker, has agents worldwide, but Brian Beard is your man in Palm Springs. Call Brian now at 760 799 Seven zero nine six. That's seven six zero seven nine nine seven zero nine six. Or visit him online at desert dot com. Bruce Dumont, back in Chicago. Thanks very much for joining us, Jacob Meiser. You were going to make a point about how the children are being treated at the moment.
3: Yeah. Well, you know, you mentioned that there's over two thousand children who are still detained separate from their right. parents. Um, I was hearing somebody from HHS who said that their reunification may be impossible for all of them at this point, Um, just logistically. You still have a tremendous number of children under the age of five. You have one-year-olds who have been detained. Parents have been deported, um, and trying to find them may be impossible. So there may not be reunification. And I think it speaks very seriously to a a very ill-designed an ill-executed policy on the administration's behalf that never should have happened.
0: Well, let me just mention that last week a California judge ruled that the, the children, they have to be reunited within 30 days. If they're five years or under, it's 14 days, and then they have 10 days to provide at least a telephone opportunity uh, between parent and children. Now, Rosanna, let me get your reaction to the way in which this policy, uh, at least the zero tolerance part of it, I think you like, uh, but the way it's been administered
2: well i have a whole different view of what's going on um, i had okay. said before you know i think we're looking in the wrong place we're putting all this blame on the united states and i think the blame goes to the countries that get the money to help their people they don't care about them. why are all these people coming here why aren't we? Uh, don't we have sanctions, human rights sanctions against Mexico and all these? Because these people shouldn't have to uh, risk their lives coming that far. Coming, to, they don't know what's going to happen. And well, what I have heard again, yeah. this is hearsay, no. okay. that when you send your child, you better believe they're probably going to be raped. Who in their right mind? would send their child on a journey Michael, like that. Michael, what's
0: the answer to the question of that? Because, well, uh, because uh, okay. r- recent polls okay. have suggested, uh, this, is a, this is a poll of everyone, that a lot of American voters blame the parents for sending their kids north to the United States. Well, l- l- let's, let's look at this in two separate
1: categories. Because one category, which is the much, much smaller category, are people who are trying to reach uh, a port of entry in the United States to apply for political asylum because they're fearful of uh, persecution or, or physical harm to them in their native country. And we you that, can see that that's a very, that's very a, t- I, tiny I said, slice. No, I said, that's a very small number.
0: I, and, and, is, uh, is, is that basic piece of information known to the masses in uh, Guatemala and Honduras? Well, uh,
1: uh, uh, that's the motivation for most of the people coming from Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador. The fact that, that in large part because of the drug business, and the drug business is because... Of, of the demand in the United States for illegal drugs, the, the gangs are, are basically running those countries, Michael, and, and may, people may,
4: are, are fearful. May, may I interrupt you for just 20 yeah, seconds and be, throw this back to you and point out, you've just mentioned Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador. To yes. get to the United States from Guatemala, yes. Honduras, and El yes. Salvador, you have to transit Mexico. Yes, And here the odd thing is you would think that a humane, forward-thinking, progressive country like Mexico would attend to the needs of those people themselves. Right. But although Mexicans ha- the Mexican government has tremendous demands against the United States for us to open our borders, yes. the Mexican government will not open its borders you're, you're to refugees right. from Guatemala, Honduras, right. and El Salvador. Right. They, they'll, they'll let them pass through the United States, but they will give them no sucker assistance or or, 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 or help whatsoever. Your and under, and, the and under
0: the asylum laws, isn't the, isn't it the first, first country, country that, where you put your feet down exactly. has got to give you, or at least they have to well, allow that's you. not
1: exactly true. The Refugee Act of 1980 allows anyone... anyone who fears persecution or physical harm to apply for political asylum at a port of entry and to get a hearing before an Im- immigration judge so as to whether their claim is valid or not?
2: And then so they how many get ports their of entry hearing either? and they never show up again. If I had a good reason to come for asylum, I'd show up and I'd get asylum. You know where you but would they go? Don't.
0: What are the what are the what are the points? Does anybody know what the actual points of? Of doing it legally are?
2: Yes. You go to the point of entry. Yeah, yeah. there are a the number of points of, of entry. Any, any yes. port of entry.
0: Yes. Any, any official yes. American port of entry. An
4: airport, okay. a, a, An airport right. okay. a, land, a land port, but, but a th- not, not crossing the border in the middle of the desert, right. but, going, but presenting yourself, identifying yourself to American immigration officials and with the expression, I am here with a well-founded fear of persecution in the, from, in the do country. Do we have, and flag. again, this, this may be yes. bleeding-heart
0: liberalism here, but let me ask you a question. Coming from you? Do you? Do you yes, yes. Okay. Do you, because I'm compassionate. Do you, do you believe there's any responsibility of the United States during this period of time to inform those people in those countries exactly where to go? not not a not a not a list of or maybe it is a list well, of their how you do it the country
2: is letting them know they have pamphlets that they give yeah, them yes. they tell them exactly what to you do show. exactly legally. what to well, say And, and there are NGOs. to do legally they want them to come here well, uh, they're getting a ang- whole middle class in Mexico by the money that's there are another that's another of NGOs I, that they I don't
4: go. know I don't know what the United States government has been doing in the last 10 right. years but I will tell you when I was the chief of staff of the United States Information Agency. Okay. And our business was giving people in other countries information yes. about the United States, including, among other things, how to come and what oh. to do when you get here. Okay. We would tell them that explicitly. Okay. We, 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 would, we would send information over all the media that the United States controls, the international broadcasting, Voice of America, uh, Radio Marti, the freedom radios, uh, written, in, written pieces of paper available in U.S. information centers and U.S. libraries and embassies and consulates telling people exactly
0: what the ground rules are. Okay. So, well, so no, wait, can all, I go back if, and to yes, your yes, question? Yes, 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 again, but just okay. one second. If that was the case during the Reagan administration, it seems to me that that America's news media should be letting the public know, because we don't know here tonight. We don't know whether there's such a policy in place today. And if the government of Honduras or El Salvador or Guatemala are not doing that, then we've got to put some pressure because of the money we provide them to, to let their people know that if they're coming here to seek asylum, yes. we've got to tell them how to do it legally yes. unless we absolutely positively don't want them. And that's not what the president is saying. Well
1: Part of the problem that's happening on the U.S.-Mexican border is – because of all these refugees who are are coming here from El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras, the Department of Homeland Security has told uh, um, uh, Customs and Border Patrol not to allow uh, applicants for asylum to, to come in through the ports of entry. So they're stuck on the Mexican border, on the Mexican side of the border, and, and, they're, and they're crossing illegally, and this is where a lot of the political asylum people are coming into the country illegally. Now, what we should be doing is is allowing people to come in a normal course through a port of entry and
0: apply, and then have a, that's have the a hearing. That's what the president has been saying. Are if, you saying that? No, if, but they're, they're not. They're, they're, not shutting
4: doing, up, they're shutting if, off if the ports of if, entry. If, if, what you're no. saying, if what you're saying is true, yes. Mike, then that, absolutely that administratively should be cured. Right. Because, and and I, I'm the first person to say that the, that the uh, immigration bureaucracy, the old INS and in yes, today's yes. immigration agencies, yes. are terrible bureaucracies, probably worse than the IRS in terms, uh, in terms <laughs> of their incompetence. They, they were frustrated yeah. to deal with when I was assisting Attorney General yeah. Meese at the Justice Department when he was the boss of the INS. Yeah. They were frustrated to deal with this. It was a hidebound, terrible bureaucracy. But, but, Bruce, let me say something inflammatorily political. About this, I think the f- the five of us around this table could have a very intelligent conversation about how to construct a rational set of immigration policies for the United States that would provide for legal immigration and would control I- illegal immigration in an appropriate way. But there are powerful interests for political, for partisan, political reasons on both sides that have made opposite choices. And and I think from the from the perspective of a partisan Republican. I think that President Trump's made a very good set of choices from a partisan political point of view, and the Democrats have made a terrible set of choices because the message that's coming across, I believe, to the American people is the following message, and you fellas might want to respond to this. It is that Democrats oppose border controls. We're here shouting this week in the streets, people waving flags of other countries. They're not Americans. They're not pro-Americans out there in the streets. They're waving flags of other countries, not that of the United States, demanding open borders and that ICE, the Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency, be abolished. And Democrats are, are supporting that. If we go to the polls in November of 2018 or go to the polls in November 2020 on the question, shall the United States control its borders? You guys are going to lose. No, so you,
3: go. Uh, you know I've, I've been listening very patiently to this whole conversation, yep. and I just think the the, the, the the dialogue that's going on nationally um, is on its head. I I, I I have grandparents who came to this country and sailed into the Statue of Liberty, Liberty, where it said, "Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free." The United States has been the shining no city disagreement. that's uh, that us everybody wants to come to no i disagreement. don't see that's anybody us. from from honduras or el salvador coming here because they want to i don't think they they they're making a thousand mile journey or sending their kids because they want to they need to and that is the role that the United States has played. But your,
0: parent, but, your, but your parents and your grandparents, they played by the rules. They went to Ellis Island, they filled out the forms, and they came to, and, and they became citizens, perhaps. So I'm, I'm, I'm just – I don't to, think
3: – this is what bothers it speaks me. speaks to, to the, the it, fact that we do need serious, serious yes, immigration I, I, reform.
0: Th- that's right. And what the frustration that I have is that when when Democrats try to conflate the issue of legal immigration – from illegal immigration and and, that, and that's so they're making the first
3: illegal what my grandparents did and they had no choice they fled europe because they were being persecuted and ask, they would right. have and, so and and at that time the united states had had welcomed them with open arms and gave them opportunity and people are coming to this country in because they are seeking opportunity and they are fleeing persecution and we are shutting the doors on them and i'm sorry i'm going to say it I see an underlying tone of racism in this country, which is frightening. We saw protests where people were out there with torches and pitchforks t- against immigrants, against anybody other than white males. And and, so, and I think I think that's at the yeah. core of what we see going on politically okay. in this country right now with the with the Trump administration. Rosanna, and I'm a Ros- woman Ros- of Mexican Ro- well, we,
0: descent, we gotta, we, and that's we, we we gotta, very. We got to pause, Rosanna. We should mention that Rosanna is Mexican. Yes. And she's going to talk about her answer to that question when we come back. one 800 723 From coast to coast and border to border, you're listening to Beyond the Beltway.
5: Everyone loves vacationing in Florida. So why not experience it as it was meant to be? Where turquoise gulf waters meet tranquil island beaches. Feel the powder-soft sand between your toes. Revel in a glorious island sunset. Shop the boutiques of a seaside village. Ride horseback along tranquil waters. This is Bradenton, Anna Maria Island, Longboat Key. Real, authentic Florida, where you can discover an intimate downtown and sip cappuccino at a sidewalk cafe. Catch fresh fish for dinner. Even tour a working winery. Just minutes from all the rest Florida has to offer. Bradenton, Anna Maria Island, Longboat Key. Plan your visit online at BradentonGulfIslands.com. That's BradentonGulfIslands.com.
0: This is my back in Chicago. Thanks very much for joining us. Roseanne Polito. you were going to answer the question, uh, the point made by Jacob.
2: Yes. And, and we should it's... mention...
0: Your heritage is Mexican. Yes. You were born in the United States. Yes. Your parents were born in Texas. Yes. But your background is Mexican.
2: Yes. And this is the problem. Uh, You know, I I think conservatives, uh, uh, plenty of conservatives would say this, too. This is how we're feeling. So from your statement uh, that now, because of what's going on, America must absorb an endless flow of migrants— And the Democrats care more about illegal aliens than their fellow Americans. I was driving home. I heard this veteran on the air on the David Webb show, and he said, I can't get any help. I served for 10 years. I can't get help medically. But then there's all these other people that get free health care. It just made me angry. We see our veterans aren't getting help. We have, uh, in Springfield, tons of homeless people. They're taking up the library now. We have so many problems. Uh, Counties and cities are broke. We can't even fund our own Americans and help them and get them what they need. But we're supposed to take an endless flow of migrants because, well, then we need to start holding that money back. From those countries, and maybe doing something here with the free health care I had mentioned before, 113 billion dollars a year that Americans pay for free services—something's got to give.
1: But rightly or wrongly, we have industries in this country right now that are dependent on undocumented people working. We and, and those industries can't function. Everything from the construction industry to to farm workers. To no, they restaurants. Can
2: function. they can won't function. function very well. They just don't want They're to pay not. wages. Okay, a, in a, a in California,
3: wage. but the people in California, the people, in California the people, farms that are going on uh, farms. Uh, listen, one of,
1: one of the things Trump, uh, Trump talks about is how low unemployment is, and he's right. It's it's at a record low in this country. You know, these industries can't find people to work.
0: Rosanna, yeah. would you would, uh, to the right side of the table? Would you agree that the answer you you referenced it? People want they want workers that have come here and work for cheap. My question to you is, and I said this in a, in a Facebook post earlier this week, if the, if the House of Representatives does not pass legislation that mandates, uh, you know, e-verify, it's not serious. And it basically, it's the business community, it's the Chamber of yes. Commerce that has kept Republicans sitting on their hands. They didn't do anything last week. They haven't done anything for, for years. Yes. The Democrats didn't do anything for years before. Would you agree, both of you, I'd like to get you, would you agree with that statement that E-Verify is absolutely point number one? Good luck, put it in. But is it point number 1 on solving this problem? Absolutely. Because you got to got to stop the people but, that are paying these people to come here to work?
2: Yes, you're absolutely right, but as we go back, you know, 2005 I was on the border with the Minutemen. And we're talking about the same things now in 2018, and it makes me crazy.
0: But the answer is that you did not, ha- you did not have at that point. There were Democrats and many Republic One of the sw- reasons why we're talking about it is Democrats and many Republicans, absolutely. many on both sides, have not wanted to deal with this. That's Joe, right. your, sure. your assessment That's
4: of the... It, right. it is something of a political third rail for people in both parties for, for, di- for different reasons. But is oh, he the, verifying? Oh, am I overstating he verifying? No, no, as a matter of fact, that was the weak link of President Reagan's... Uh, yeah, uh, reform. The, the Reagan reform was well-intentioned. It solved a problem for a while. Uh, but the weak link was people didn't follow through in ensuring that, right. that employment went to people who were here lawfully.
3: E-Verify yes. e- e- will devastate construction industry, agriculture, Well, you know, uh, the, the, Republicans, uh, 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 Republicans... Hospitality.
0: Are, why, 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 why? Because because, th- because, because those for industries... For the same reason that George d- W. Bush depend. was such
3: a proponent of having these visiting worker programs, yes. because because without the cheap labor... You these industries can't.
0: So there is there are people the, who will take a, those jobs. Is there a way for the government to come up with a plan that deals with all industries that need help? Yes, but do it yes. in a legal way. Yes, it's called it,
3: comprehensive immigration reform, well, and it's it going it, to happen. It, 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 you it,
2: mean it, amnesty?
4: It, it, non-comprehensive immigration reform that is legislation that would make it legal for migrant workers to enter the United States, work in particular agencies, agencies, industries, earn livings, and take their money home, send their money home, pay their taxes while they're here, and take, right. and, and, and leave and take their money home and, and create wealth for the, for the families back home. That kind of legislation, which would address these problems, right. has been put, been put on the table often. George W. Bush 20 years ago did it, but it was shot down by Democrats because it's the cheap labor issue. I, may I broaden this discussion a little bit? I, th- I think there may be – this may be anathema uh, to the spirit of the show, uh, Bruce, but I think there may be some areas of common ground we could identify. And one important issue, I think, is to recognize that this is not specifically an American problem. That is to say, problems of migration, people passing – crossing borders, it, that's the human history. What's, what's new and different in the last couple of centuries is we've set up these things called nation-states, and we've done it for a reason because a nation-state like in the United States can have a constitution and laws – that are arrived at through some democratic process and that protect people and we want to preserve that we don't want nation states that protect people through constitutional rule of law systems to disappear mass migration you know like in the middle ages would would do that Notice, however, looking around the world that for a whole host of reasons, whether it's famine, climate change, political upheaval, and so forth, there are masses of people moving around the world. This is not just roiling North America. This is also a hot issue in the Middle East, a hot issue in Europe. The European Union may be coming apart because the northern states are not supporting the southern states in in the Union with their problems on their borders and so forth. The, the question of how rational, non racist, civilized people who believe in things like constitutional rights and the rule of law for every nation are going to address mass desires of populations to migrate in coming years is something we all need to be thinking seriously right. about.
1: Right. Absolutely. I, I, I agree with you, absolutely. I think if we think we have a migration problem in 2018, you know, in 10 years, it's going to be tens of millions of people on the move, moving, out of the, moving from the Middle East, moving from, uh, from uh, uh, Africa uh, to a uh, uh, better climate. And, and,
0: and, and no one has a clue how to deal with this issue. I want to ask Roseanne a political question. Again, last week the focus was that the House was going to vote one day, then it was the next day, and then they went home for their little uh, Fourth of July weekend. If the Republican majority in the House – doesn't come up with some legislation that demonstrates they can lead on this issue, something that the president would sign, is there any reason why people should vote for Republicans in the fall?
2: Uh the Republican party has gone off the rail. Mm. there is no Republican party in Illinois i mean no i know but, but I have people no will,
0: faith people in the people in the fall well, there's you they're going to vote they're going to vote for republicans or they're going to vote for democrats or they're not going to vote my question to you is uh the, the, the republicans have the power right now they've got a president that said that he's going to sign virtually anything but
2: they're fooling they around one. i don't I know, believe but, but here's
0: my point my advice okay. to you i'm asking you is as okay. you you ran for congress mm-hmm. i mean if if members of Congress, Republicans are not getting the job done, and it comes to November. should people still go in and pull the lever for a Republican who's been there since Donald Trump got elected and haven't and they haven't done a lick in solving the immigration no, problem
2: We need to drain the swamp. <laughs> There's too but many. But aren't
0: they then part of the swamp if they're doing what nothing? What it
2: showed th- is Paul Ryan is an absolute failure f- in leadership. And he's not going to be back. Thank God. Because he
0: knows he probably doesn't have the votes because he has been out there with the uh, with the Chamber of Commerce uh, stopping uh, the E-Verify. I so guess
2: in both parties there's a real struggle. Hmm. but There is. Yeah. The American people are just. Speak been, in, it's and, it's speaking. It's a bigger issue struggle, to
1: me. It's a bigger issue to me. You know we have some seri- we have a number of serious issues in this country immigration being one of the one of the most serious have we lost our ability to solve major issues are, yes. are we so, yes. are we are we in such a political environment now that the day after every election we start campaigning for the next election so right. so we're, we're now resorting to our, our sides, and we can't figure yes. out how to solve any I of these problems. I look
3: back at my years Thank when you. I worked on in, uh, in Capitol Hill. Yeah. And what did you, you work know, for? I, I worked for Jim Moody, who is a member of Congress from Wisconsin, Democrat. Um, you know, it was the, the 1980s, and the, the attitude was much more we have to get things done. And there was an attitude of compromise and working together.
4: Ronald Reagan and Tip O'Neill at 5 o'clock would come around, and they'd sit down with a bourbon and talk things through. And you know
3: what? There's things you liked. There were things you weren't. But at the end of the day, the sausage got made, and it was what it was. Today, we've got standoffs that happen, and people take things to the brink. How many... Near-government shutdowns have we had where you take things to the brink, and we know they're not good for the country, but nobody will give an inch or any ground. I right. think on immigration, but- if that we could – tomorrow, if, if, if the, the extreme – the extremes of both parties were sent out of the room and you had the middle in there, <clears> they <throat> would come up with – legislation that would solve this I, problem. I and I, I think we're, you know, we haven't gotten to the Supreme Court I, I, yet. But, I think the Supreme Court is going to be another example. But, here,
0: but here's one thing. In the era that you were talking about when you were serving in Washington, and Joe, when you were serving in Washington, again, you'd, you'd, you'd have your elections. There'd be a winner. There'd be a loser. If you lost, you'd lick your wounds. You'd organize for the next, the next uh, campaign. In this time, Donald Trump had opposition in the street, hundreds of thousands of people in the street the day after he was inaugurated. The resistance movement started within twenty-four hours. And and the Democrats, they have fanned this resistant movement to the point that if you if you do anything that, that Jim Moody would have done, as you suggested, he'd be primaried. That's, Jim, that's what Roosevelt? we're dealing with. Oh, in, wait, in, this, is, this, is, this is
1: similar to what happened court. when Barack Obama became president, and Mitch McConnell Black. said, my Black. goal is to make sure he's a one-term president. I mean, we've been in this tribalism for a wait, long time. I've heard, that, I've heard that
0: for years. Supreme Here's Supreme the difference. Okay. Mitch McConnell was a political leader who said something. The Democrats have stuck it down his throat ever since. It was a stupid thing to say. But the difference between one man standing up and saying about that, Barack Obama, versus tens of thousands of people going to the streets... In organizing against the president and resisting uh, for the last two years is is night and day. Back shortly from Chicago.
6: Are you headed to Los Angeles looking for the ideal place for you and your family to relax and enjoy yourselves? A place that combines a four-diamond hotel experience with a convenient location? It's the Hilton Los Angeles Universal City. Just steps away from Universal Studios Hollywood, CityWalk, and NBC Studios. Just a short ride to the Hollywood Walk of Fame, TCL Chinese Theater, Warner Brothers, and other popular attractions. Enjoy spacious rooms offering breathtaking views and a world-class Las Vegas-style seafood and prime rib buffet every weekend and holidays. Share family fun and enjoy the oasis of the palm tree-lined pool and whirlpool. Relax in your own private poolside cabana with a cocktail or snack at your fingertips. Book your reservation today at HiltonUniversal.com or call 1-800-774-1500. The Hilton Los Angeles
0: Universal City
6: at HiltonUniversal.com. They let you be the star in Hollywood.
0: Back And before we go too much further, I just want to say uh, uh, thanks to John Pinter out at North, uh, Notre Dame University this past week. He brought uh, to the museum, and I had an opportunity to address a group of 19 visiting uh, young people uh, from uh, the continent of Africa. They came from 14 different countries. Uh, uh, there we are welcoming them to the museum, sitting around. They're very articulate. And again, there was one young man said he wants to be the president of Nigeria, so... If he does, I've got a friend in Nigeria. So, again, uh, thanks very much for John Pinter. Uh, it's always nice to talk to the young people, uh, part of a tour uh, for the United States State Department. Let's go to Alan listening to us on our flagship station, WCGO, in Chicago. Go ahead, Alan. Alan, are you there? If not, let's go to Brian. Are you there, Brian?
7: Yes. Hello, You're GD. listening online. Go ahead. That's correct, on POTUS. Good. Uh <clears throat> Just to share some observations that rarely gets talked about, uh, one of the reasons immigration is such a hot mission ish- issue is that wage levels have been flat for average American people for 30 years, and it has to do with the supply and demand dynamic within our labor market. But nobody frames it that way. It's always about, well, we're, we're a nation of immigrants, we let everybody in, which is false. And then uh, another big change that's occurred since the romantic era of Ellis Island is that since 1960, the population of planet Earth has doubled. We've added 3.5 billion people to the planet in a mere 50 years. But we don't seem to ever want to address that fact head on. So there is a supply-demand dynamic within our economy that has to be addressed. We cannot just have our Economy swamped with workers, and have American workers watch their wages fall to nothing, and say, "Well, hey, we're a nation of immigrants. We gotta let this happen." It's idiotic.
0: Michael, any comment? I, I, I,
1: I, th- I think you're right. I don't think anyone advocates, you know, having open borders to just let anyone into the country. I think we have to deal with a the situation we have right now. What we've we're, heard all we, week, wait, which is where we have 11, 12 million undocumented persons living in this country right now, what what happens to them, and then what do we do going forward about about economic migration. Keep in mind we're talking about two different types of immigrants. We're talking about a small group of political uh, migrants to this country seeking asylum. We're talking about a much larger group of people seeking economic opportunity. One thing they we, should be
4: treated differently. One thing we don't talk about enough, I think, is the is the encouragement of free markets, the rule of law, property rights, respect, and so forth, in other countries around the world, which is systematically employed would change life for people on the ground in those countries, dramatically improve. I mean, all kinds of case studies show that if, 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 there, if there were not a, such a driving need for economic migration, um, the dynamics all over the world would be very different. Bruce, when you run around the table at the very beginning of the show, you asked me what was the big political development of the week, Nobody mentioned the Maxine Waters thing. And I'm picking Maxine Waters here as as the poster girl for the attitude that if you disagree with me, I'm not only not going to talk with you, I'm going to shame you. I'm going to throw you out of the restaurant. Uh, I'm going to deny you accommodation. Uh, I'm going to deny you any legitimacy at the table. That is not how we ought to do things in a democracy. We ought to sit around the table and say, well, we're all Americans and we all have some pretty powerful interests that are clashing here, and some ideas that on which we disagree. But let's talk. Right.
0: Oh no, I I, I think that uh, I, Well, we're going to let our Democrats. I think a lot of Democrats were embarrassed by, uh, by her comments. The, were you embarrassed I, by her comments? I, I think I think it's it's
3: typical of what we're seeing on both sides, and I don't blame Maxine Waters. I mean, you see it on the right, you see it on the left. There's intolerance for differences of opinion. And coming what's together... The, what's
0: the what's the equivalent in the House of Representatives to Maxine Waters on the right? Who is it?
1: I, I'll
3: tell you what I see as the... First of all...
0: Grothman. Wait a
1: minute.
3: Congressman Grothman up in Wisconsin. Totally how, how
1: about Joe Wilson screaming out at Barack
0: Obama in right. his first State of the Union address? You lie. Seven years ago. Yes. How does you that know. affect what's happening right now?
2: It, I understand. It seems
0: to me that literally what I'm saying here is it seems to me that we have... And I think we have two relatively moderate to left Democrats with us tonight. You more okay. moderate, I think, perhaps than than Jacob. You can, you can't denounce uh, you can't denounce her. I mean, Speaker Pelosi, to her brilliance, she understood it uh, in a second what that message, what that video was. She she de- she de- she challenged her was, right away. That was a
4: couple percentage points for Republicans in the fall. Is what it was.
0: Absolutely, and she knows that. And then to, then to see the commercials that have already been prepared by the Republican Congre- uh, right. House Committee, I mean, you, you, you guys have a piece of video, you know, it, that it's, it's devastating. I'm surprised that you're not acknowledging it. But I mean, it's we're devastating. Dying and this, for and leadership. Way, this is even this is even before, you know, a a, a junior senator from, from New York saying, Hey, let's let's abolish ICE. You got a senator from California. These are outrageous positions. You that- have
1: a president of the United States who at every rally uh points to the media that's covering his rally and says all, all they report is fake news,
0: and they are an enemy of the people. He and, and, says they are an enemy of the people. And everybody, I mean, and, oh my God, Mike, Mike everybody in that rally—not everybody—many in that rally agree with that statement. Many out there in TV land uh, agree with that statement. The difference is, the question is, people suggesting that we abolish ICE. Do you think that's a position that should be going out there, and that, and literally hundreds of thousands or millions of people are going to be standing up and cheering? maybe they are, maybe they are. Do
1: I think that's the right yes. position? Of course not. I think of It's a foolish position. But
0: the, but the point is, it's foolish. The point is, is it, that, is it was that sure literal? Is it that literal? That's that part supposed of the to be taken literally. Oh, it's literal, literal, yes. it yes. That's yes. part of the vi- that's part of the video. I mean, you know, you know. Uh, of course, it's a foolish Nikita position. Nikita Khrushchev said he was going to bury America and banged on the. Banged his shoe, and you know, that video was played by Republicans for you know 35, 40 years. Barack Obama, the issue of uh, anybody can pick their doctors. I mean, sometimes when you say something on camera, Donald Trump says a lot of dumb things on camera, right. but the Democrats they're playing catch up pretty quickly. We are out of time for this segment. We've had a lovely, uh, <laughs> lovely discussion. Our number one. In hour number two, we're going to talk about another big battle coming up the battle to replace Anthony Kennedy on the United States Supreme Court. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us.
8: If you look hard enough, Go off the beaten track far enough, you'll find an America teeming with the unusual, the odd, the downright strange. I'm Will Klinger, and I'm your guide on a package tour we like to call Wild Travels. Join us on our weekly road trip to see America's most offbeat and unusual attractions. Wild Travels, available on your local PBS station or at well Should Be.
0: Live from Chicago,
8: it's Saturday Night Live, The Experience.
0: Tuesday through Sundays and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv.
5: Everyone loves vacationing in Florida, so why not experience it as it was meant to be? Where turquoise gulf waters meet tranquil island beaches. Feel the powder-soft sand between your toes. Revel in a glorious island sunset. Shop the boutiques of a seaside village. Ride horseback along tranquil waters. This is Bradenton-Anna Maria Island, Longboat Key. Real, authentic Florida, where you can discover an intimate downtown and sit cappuccino at a sidewalk cafe, catch fresh fish for dinner, even tour a working winery. Just minutes from all the rest Florida has to offer. Bradenton, Anna Maria Island, Longboat Key. Plan your visit online at BradentonGolfIslands.com. That's BradentonGulfIslands.com.
6: Are you headed to Los Angeles looking for the ideal place for you and your family to relax and enjoy yourselves? A place that combines a four-diamond hotel experience with a convenient location? It's the Hilton Los Angeles Universal City. Just steps away from Universal Studios Hollywood, CityWalk, and NBC Studios. Just a short ride to the Hollywood Walk of Fame, TCL Chinese Theater, Warner Brothers, and other popular attractions. Enjoy spacious rooms offering breathtaking views and a world-class Las Vegas-style seafood and prime rib buffet every weekend and holidays. Share family fun and enjoy the oasis of the palm tree-lined pool and whirlpool. Relax in your own private poolside cabana with a cocktail or snack at your fingertips. Book your reservation today at HiltonUniversal.com or call 1 800 774 1500. The Hilton, Los Angeles, Universal City at HiltonUniversal.com. They let you be the star in Hollywood.
2: Chris
0: Dubont back in Chicago. Thanks very much for joining us. This is our number two of uh, Beyond the Bowie, wherever you're listening across uh, the country on America's great talk radio stations, as well as Sirius XM uh, POTUS Channel 124. Nice to have you with us this evening. Um, in our number two this evening, we're going to be talking about the other huge story of this past week, and that is the announcement of retirement of uh, uh, J- Justice Anthony Kennedy from the United States Supreme Court. He was uh, nominated uh, by Ronald Reagan. Uh, He has been viewed by some people uh, left of center and right of center as a hero from time to time because he's been described as sort of the swing vote. I know he was a key figure in the gay and lesbian community when he passed or cast a deciding vote for uh, uh, gay and uh, lesbian uh, same-sex marriage in the United States. So there was a huge – he was a huge – fan at that particular point and we're going to talk about his legacy but the most important thing now is there's some people that are being considered allegedly there is a list of 25 this was the list uh, that was put together uh, uh, before the election uh, and President uh, Trump during the campaign he he made all these names known so there shouldn't be any surprise Today there was a little surprise, Uh, Susan Collins, who will vote on this nomination. The United States Senate must approve it. Uh, She mentioned that based on a meeting with the president and uh, uh, four other members of the U.S. Senate the other evening at the White House, uh, these are the possible swing votes, deciding votes, not swing votes, the deciding votes uh, for this nomination, uh, that the president hinted that maybe he will add uh, five or six more names to this list, which may uh, make some conservatives a little bit concerned because they all sort of liked uh, the list put together by the Federalist Society. And I want to go to Joe Morris because we're we're very lucky to have uh, all of our guests this evening. But Joe, uh, during the Reagan administration, was the Assistant Attorney General of the United States uh, working with Ed Meese in the Justice Department. And, And you were there when Justice Kennedy was nominated by President Reagan. So, is there anything you can tell us, Joe, about what goes on between the Justice Department and the White House during a time when someone is being uh, vetted for uh, the U.S. Supreme Court?
4: Yes. In fact, I can tell you that I was there when that vacancy first was offered to Robert Bork, and then after that nomination went down, and I think that was the nomination that changed America. That changed the way we've done Supreme Court nominations ever since to our detriment. Uh, Senator Kennedy's response to that nomination just changed the chemistry of American politics at that level forever, or at least for a long time, and it's certainly afflicted. us now. Made it bitter. Made it bitter uh, and highly partisan. Uh, then, then the short-lived and ill-fated uh, nomination of Doug Ginsburg, the other Ginsburg judge in Washington, and then uh, the, the third nominee for that vacancy was uh, Justice Kennedy. The world is very different today, at least on the conservative side of of, of uh, the judicial nomination world, than it was 30 years ago. Two, two things have intervened. One of them is a, a major systematic sea change in the way in which conservatives and increasingly lawyers and the bench in general think about the law, and that is the originalist or textualist a revolution that began in J- July of, 2000, of of 1985 when uh, then Attorney General Meese spoke to the American Bar Association on the issue of originalism. Uh, Justice Scalia preferred the term textualism. They're really the same thing, and the idea is that a constitution or a statute or some written law ought to be interpreted in accordance with the, the, its, its pub- the public meaning of its words, its text, at the time it was adopted. That meaning is locked in. If you want to change it, change the text. You don't play around with the meanings of the words. Um, th- that sort of philosophy actually it can be applied very rigorously. And the last 30 years, there's been a lot of experience of lawyers and judges doing exactly that. Um, so that there's this now very large stable of potential judges who were schooled in a in a in a systematic way in that kind of thinking and it's, it's it, all on the record. Yeah,
0: but but is it easy now especially with with all the magic uh, technical uh, yes. devices we have? To track. Um but to track and words, we uh-huh. could go through that list of 25 and we could make a list of these people are absolute originalists or these yes. are maybe 95% originalists.
4: Yes. And 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 that that's the second big change which is which is technology and scholarship have made it possible. To, to read and, and, and understand seriously what it is judges, law professors, lawyers are doing when they work. And so we now have organizations such as the Federalist Society, the Heritage Foundation, the Cato Institute, and so forth that make it their business to, to follow this information and come up with these lists. Does it, l- does l- it
0: worry you a little bit when, you, when Susan Collins says that maybe there's four or five names that have been added to that list?
4: N- no, be- because, because those names are not coming out of nowhere. Okay. The, 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 those, those are known names. Let, let, me, let me say something about President Trump in this context, this process, that is also different. And he, here I'm going to use a word with respect to President Trump that nobody ever hears said very often, statesmanlike. President Trump did something absolutely unprecedented for any presidential candidate in the course of the 2016 election, and I think it was good and healthy and statesmanlike. He announced as a primary candidate before yes. the convention – what his criteria for the selection of Supreme Court nominees would be, he laid them out, and then he reinforced that by putting out a list of actual names. He named names and then amended it twice in public before the election. No president has ever before laid out his criteria. No presidential candidate has ever laid out his criteria or named names. And, Michael, and, and I you're will tell you, your head. I, I think that's what won Donald Trump both the nomination. And the presidency in November of uh, November, Mike, of you're there were a lot of right. Republicans and a lot of conservatives who were, who were off-put by a lot of other things that Mr. Trump right. had to say or attitudes that he displayed, but found evangelicals. that. And, and, and I want to evangelicals. Evangelicals as Wait, well. I want to tell you something. Uh, so
1: I, I ran into a friend of mine the other day at a luncheon, and she was very active with me on John Kerry's presidential campaign in 2004. And we were talking in terms of with uh, Justice Kennedy's retirement how in 2004 – We Democrats tried making the Supreme Court a major issue on why people should come out and vote for John Kerry versus George W. Bush, and the issue has never resonated with Democrats the way it resonates with Republicans. Republicans have a very long-term perspective to the judiciary, and they're very vested in who goes on the courts. And, And Democrats generally don't really care about the issue.
0: When, when you hear, J- Jacob, I want to get your reaction, because some have suggested, in fact, Susan Collins said this, and she it was also an allegation or a quote from uh, um, Senator Murkowski as well, who's one yep. of the other uh, moderate to liberal Republicans. And, and they're looking for, they like precedent. They like that there's been a precedent. So people who are worried about Roe v. Wade or maybe overturning uh, you know, civil or, or, or uh, gay marriage, same-sex marriage, that there's there's precedent there. So they, they shouldn't lose a lot of sleep over it, even though that is going to be used as part of the Democrat plan to try to get everybody riled up, even though they necessarily don't have the I mean votes one for of the,
3: the main principles in law is called stare decisis, which is the, the rule of precedent. It becomes law and no. There are reversals. I mean, we want, you know Brown versus Board of Education. Obviously, we know is a huge reversal in the court. But right. those are we had an, we, sea had an over, we
4: had an overruling this week, Korematsu
3: versus the United States. We had a, was but, well, a that, that, I was just going to bring that up. In I Trump said, you, and what we've been seeing is this br- this conservative activists, as I call them, have been have been overturning longstanding precedent. And I think, you know, Collins and Murkowski's comments this weekend. We're basically, we don't want Roe versus, Roe versus Wade overturned. Right. That's precedent and, that shouldn't be changed.
0: And also, the president said this is against what he said basically uh, during well, the campaign. And in his interview with uh, Bartolona on uh, CNBC was he said he's not going to ask the question about abortion to his candidates. I want to get everybody's reaction to that, including those that are strong supporters of the president on that issue. Are you planning for the day when you can retire to your dream home in Palm Springs, California? A day surrounded by spectacular scenery, golf courses, a rich cultural life, and great dining? If you are, you'll need a guide, someone who knows where to look, an experienced broker, someone who knows the desert communities of Southern California and all they have to offer. That person is Brian Beard, who's been making dreams come true for over 13 years, selling over $100 million in real estate, including celebrity and architecturally significant homes to the rich and famous, and more importantly, to people just like you. Brian's company, Caldwell Banker, has agents worldwide, but Brian Beard is your man in Palm Springs. Call Brian now at 760 760- 799-7096. That's 760-799-7096. Or visit him online at briansellsthedesert.com. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Uh, thanks for joining us tonight. Roseanne Polito. we did not get your response to uh, uh, all of the decisions that the president is about to make on a U.S. Supreme Court justice. And, and, and what is most important to you?
2: Well, I know it's going to be a long, hot summer in a lot of different ways. Um, the most important thing to me is to get a judge on the court who will interpret the Constitution the way it's written. You know, it's funny, the line you just said about what you're seeing is a lot of activist judges, and you feel that way about conservatives, and conservatives feel that way about the liberal yes, judges. Right, so. right, right. Yeah.
0: I don't want to talk about, uh, just to talk about from your perspective, uh, Michael, because uh, one of your Facebook posts this past week was that, you know, the Democrats may have their hands tied politically as to how the votes are going to come down, but you say that they may have the outcome. They have the outcome, yeah. Yes. But you, you, you say you've got to make things really difficult. You've got to take to the streets. Did I no, overstate that? No, I did not that? say
1: you should take to the streets. Right, so what should what you I, do? What I, what I what suggested is that the Democratic leadership should do everything possible to, to fight this nomination. And and the first thing, the first weapon at their at their hands right now, is the Senate operates only functionally through unanimous consent motions, and they should start objecting to every single unanimous consent motion to slow down the Senate. They should object to every appropriations bill, every authorization bill that comes up. And that will, in essence, slow down or shut down the Senate. And it is a battle eventually that the Senate Democrats cannot win. But, it's a battle but isn't it
0: going to tick off a lot of voters? And it's only going to play to a narrative that the Republicans are already using—that the Democrats are just no, they say no to everything, and they're not productive, and they're not getting anything done. They're just a fly in the ointment. Well, you know, uh, what, how, do you, how does that you, you strategy what, I, answer that question?
1: I, I, I've compared this to actually the assassination of the Archduke uh, Ferdinand in 1914, which years set ago off last which week. set off a number of European countries uh, on a path where. They felt their path was unavoidable, even though they knew it was going to lead to war, and and unfortunately, the Democratic base right now is angry over over the fact that Trump is going to get another nominee and wants the Senate Democrats to go to war, even though it's a war that I want to high likelihood will be I, lost. I want to make sure that I want, I want to make want sure, to sure not that I whether
3: the Republicans actually are going, going to have enough votes to pass. Well, I mean, with Murkowski and Collins and and others, whether there's oh, there's a Donnie. will, there's a will within the Republican Party itself to force moderation and, oh. and, and civility and, and somebody a little bit more. That you just said, Mike. Yeah. I want to make yeah. sure that
0: I've heard you yeah. correctly. You were alluding to an assassination uh, that led to World War I. Uh, that's what your yes. reference was. I, uh, yes. You know, that is a loaded word. Are you are you are you standing by that word? No, I no. Mean, what be I'm saying is, there was an event in 19— Wait. I mean, was, we're talking about we're talking about a a few vote or a, you know a vote here or a vote there. And it's, no, no, no. You're misinterpreting I want, what, I'm, what I'm saying. Well, that, I, that's I, what I, I want to clarify. No, 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 no. There's a lot of people. You're heard absolutely that word misinterpreting what tonight. I'm
1: saying. What I'm saying is, what, what happened with the Archduke Ferdinand set off a series of events in in Europe on the whole European continent and with England that 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 the nations felt was unavoidable actions on their part that they knew it was going to lead to war that they didn't want to have have a war but they couldn't stop the chain of events from occurring and and right now as soon as Trump announces his nominee next week on the 9th it's going to set off a chain of events for the democratic base that the democratic base wants a war even though it may be a battle that we're going to lose badly
4: and you so, so the analogy is that there'll be a triggering event. It's triggering event. The tr- yes. triggering event in this instance will be the nomination, nomination. of a candidate yes, for the court. Yes, yes, And the Thank you for helping me, uh, Joe. Sure, sure. I'm glad to be helped. Okay. And, and the Democratic base is so fired up, so this, this, so deranged by opposition to anything Mr. Trump, Trump does, derangement. That, that that it will oppose the nomination by all means possible, including shutting down the effective operation of the Senate to deal with issues like Immigration, uh, yes. uh, em- yes. employment, the, the yes. economic welfare of the American people yes. just drag everything to a halt. The dreamers. And at the end of the day, lose the fight on the nomination yes. to satisfy the, 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 the base because that's necessary for what? For, for primary races or something?
1: Uh, it's necessary to have the vote but, turn out in November. I think, that, I think if you know, Chuck Schumer said the other day that his strategy uh, – Chuck Todd said that Chuck Schumer's strategy – is basically to ask Mitch McConnell for mercy, all right? And, and, and that's a devastating comment, and that comment I've heard repeated a number of times already. You know, the Democratic base wa- feels the issues at hand are so in, so strong and w- will be so long-lasting that if we just roll over and don't fight this fight, then we need different leadership.
0: Doesn't the other side feel the same way, Roseanne? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, yeah. we, it it isn't going to change That's why it's dynamic. 1914. It's just going it's it's to raise the decibel It kind yes. of gets back to the, the dynamic
3: she I was about. talking to yes. about earlier, which is, I think, an overriding theme that has to be stressed. And true leadership in both parties is going to require a, a return to civility, if that's possible. If it's possible, and I think... It it means getting rid of the extremes on both parties and having a middle group come together. I would like to see, and I saw suggested this morning on the news programs, that there could be a possibility for a Supreme Court nominee coming in and getting 60, 70, 75 votes and and cobbling it together if there was a will to do it as opposed to this – this, you know, it's fighting. We have the we have we have this idea that in order to govern, you have to be you have to fight. And I think so there could be a return to civility. Go ahead. A, a,
2: a little uh, more of an explanation. So I'm against amnesty, and I want to build a wall. I'd love to see the wall built. So I am just guessing that I am one of those people that you're saying is way on the right. But I would say to you that I am the mainstream American.
3: Um, I think... I would disagree. I I would disagree. I think polling would show that that's not the case. And I would say that cobbling together, acting in civility and cobbling together a coalition in the middle would incorporate some of the issues that you have. You're not going to get 100%, and this is the problem. We have the extremes on both sides who are not willing to settle for I've half a loaf. they have been on this issue since
2: 2005 and gotten nothing.
4: So yeah. you, th- you think, the th- think the Democratic leadership, is, or at least the, those advising them from, from the grassroots of yes. the parties you're characterizing, are willing to scorch the earth yes. and push back the, the possibility of comedy and decency and, and the ability to yeah. cooperate another generation Yes, in the hope of picking up a handful of seats in the House or the Senate this fall.
1: I, I Joe, Michael, sadly,
3: I agree. Yes, I think that's where we're I, at. I, I and agree. I've used
4: that exact phrase: a
1: scorched earth defense. I, I agree. I think, but I, I, think I think that's I think the,
3: that's, in fight, that's fighting back against what the, the exact same thing that's happening from the right. I mean, when Merrick Garland didn't get a vote for a year, you guys—that was that was a scorched earth but strategy. Okay, look look, look, okay, look okay, but
4: but, but but that was a. It was not a scorched earth strategy because, because Mitch McConnell, for, who from the point of view of conservatives is an amazing hero, yes, for that, I understand, Be, because he took with his eyes open an amazing gamble. Yes, he could have settled for Merrick Garland on the theory yes. and had the Senate confirm right. him right. on the theory that that's the best Republicans could possibly get right. out of President Obama, and that if President Obama lost, uh, when, when President Obama's term came to an end, and Hillary Clinton became president. And let's face it, through most of 2016, everybody thought Hillary Clinton would like, be president. Like, Her, if she got to fill that seat, it wasn't going to be somebody as mainstream as Merrick Garland. It was going to be somebody far, far, far to the left. So Mitch McConnell took a huge gamble that the American people were going to send a, a, somebody else besides Hillary Clinton to fill that seat. It was it was not an obvious choice, right. so 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 he would have been punished seriously, and the Republican Party would have been punished seriously if he'd lost that bet. Do I don't think, think that was a scorched earth. By, well, by the way, but, by the but, way, but, but you know what, doing, This is politics, and politics you
1: take high risk, high reward. Mitch McConnell took high risk, and he gets the high reward.
3: So, but, but, so but, there, but now it's cost. But now it's going to cost on the other side because Democrats are so infuriated by it. They and Michael's, I think, right. They want to see this pushback. They want to see pushback. Even if Hard. we shut down the Senate.
4: What what right. sh- what, what shut down the what, what tore down the dikes, what prevented the civility that followed from the old supermajority rule for confirmation yes. were conscious decisions by Harry Reid, yes. the Democratic leader in the Senate, to end the practice of requiring supermajorities and just go for mm. a strict majority vote on executive nominations and Intermediate Appellate Court yes, n- the, nuclear the nuclear The The, the, the so-called, yeah. the so-called nuclear, nuclear It's it, a terrible but, mistake from your point of view, wasn't Absolutely. It?
1: By the way, can I tell you something? In 2013, when this was first proposed by Harry Reid and the Senate Democratic leadership, being as politically evolved as I am, I contacted another, um, a number of the Senate Democrats and said, you're making a long-term serious mistake. I agree. The, the filibuster rule is a defense mechanism to protect each side from the from the extremes of the other side, we want the filibuster rule in place. That's a Very conservative argument. Mom. Well, well no, and, I, and I, by I, the way, and by the way, Joe, I will go further and say that had the Democrats not gotten rid of the filibuster rule, the Republicans would never have touched it. People like Orrin Hatch were, you know, are great believers in the Senate traditions. The filibuster rule would still be in place, and we would be in, in, in a do, different place. So you, we're a, screwed because of Harry Reid
0: and his leadership team. I'm going to ask our Democrats this. Do you believe that it is more likely that the president is going to pick up the three Democrat incumbents running for re-election from red states that he won overwhelmingly? Is it more likely for them to stand together as a, as a group of three? Is that a better risk, in your view, then hoping that Susan Collins and Pre- uh, S- Senator Murkowski, one of those, is going to flip. I will tell you, he will pick up at least two of the Democrats. Okay. We're going to pause, and we're going to talk more about that, and also, we're going to go through some names, and the president is, one, very interested in optics. Would he appoint a woman, a young woman, to the Supreme Court? 46 She'd years perhaps old. Perhaps.
5: Everyone loves vacationing in Florida, so why not experience it as it was meant to be? Where turquoise gulf waters meet tranquil island beaches. Feel the powder-soft sand between your toes. Revel in a glorious island sunset. Shop the boutiques of a seaside village. Ride horseback along tranquil waters. This is Bradenton, Anna Maria Island, Longboat Key. Real, authentic Florida, where you can discover an intimate downtown and sip cappuccino at a sidewalk cafe. Catch fresh fish for dinner. Even tour a working winery. Just minutes from all the rest Florida has to offer. Bradenton, Anna Maria Island, Longboat Key. Plan your visit online at BradentonGulfIslands.com. That's BradentonGulfIslands.com.
0: Bruce Dubon back in Chicago. We were just, Office Michael Bauer was just uh, uh, touting a uh, plan of Michael Moore to uh, shut down the Capitol. And, and a, uh, With a million a, people. A longtime Facebook friend of ours, Kitty Kurth, who is occasionally a guest on this show, she was asking her Facebook friends, how many people would it take to shut down all avenues leading up to the Capitol? And she was... Getting advice, so perhaps there's some people that want to. We're give not her that talking. Advice.
4: We're not talking 1914 anymore. We're talking 1933 Weimar. This is getting very dangerous. Yes, yes it is.
1: Yes. It is. I, by the way, Joe, I absolutely agree with you. It's getting very dangerous, and and the problem is, I don't know
0: who has the ability to pull us back from the brink
1: of well, going to war with ourselves in this country.
0: Well, people have suggested we're in a verbal civil war. Uh, but I want to go back to the politics of it, because okay. and then I want to get into some of the uh, potential uh, nominees. Uh, You're making a point, uh, Jacob, about uh, there are three Repo- uh, three Democratic senators. There's two Republican senators. I think, I These think are the we're going think think to see a
3: dynamic very similar to the repeal of health care that goes on with Supreme Court nomination, where the Republicans are not going to be able to come up with 49. You are going to have Republicans who are going to peel off this nomination – for purposes of of respect for uh, the institution, stare decisis, I think um, we certainly know Collins and Murkowski, uh, if they come off, John McCain may or may not be able to vote. That's three votes. You know, will they be able to pick up one Democrat? Yeah. Are there other Republicans who are going to peel off quietly at the last minute, the same way that the, uh, the health care vote fell apart? I think, I think that... I think... There's a very reasonable chance of that happening, which is going to put the Trump administration in a position where they have to moderate their – I think this country would benefit from a much more moderate Supreme Court nominee.
0: I think that it's interesting at this point in in political history is that Arizona, which has always been one of the most reliable – Republican states going back 50 years, starting with Barry Goldwater, going forward. Uh, Their two senators, uh, Senator McCain and Senator Flake, they become two uh, questionable votes. One is whether John McCain will even be alive and be able to vote. Uh, The word is that uh, the governor is going to appoint uh, Cindy uh, McCain, his wife, to replace him. And a lot of people from Arizona don't like that idea based on things they've said to me uh, through Facebook. But, again, a very reliable Republican state could probably be the biggest battle that President Trump is going to have, and there's, there's no love lost between any of those people.
3: Right. And I think, you, I think we're just going to end up in the, 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 the dynamic that unfolds with the Supreme Court nomination and the vote. I think we're all going to be surprised by it. It's not a slam dunk by any means Donald Trump would like to cast it as such, but I think it's going to be much more like his trying to cobble together the votes I, I, to repeal. To repeal,
1: I, I have to say I strongly disagree. I mean, Donald Trump won the presidency with strong support from Christian evangelicals, as we were talking at the beginning of the show. Yes, and 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 he knows he needs that support, both for the midterms yes. and, and for the uh, for his reelection. And, and the Christian evangelicals have been supporting him because he's been great on a number of social issues, including opposing abortion rights, and, and, and I think they're expecting their due.
3: But, but what let, with, let's, w- w- let's review, review that, history, repeal, though. Look what happened with the repeal of Obamacare. He couldn't get the votes in the Senate. The,
2: same, was- the same thought went through Sandra O'Connor, David Souter, and Anthony Kennedy, Yes. All okay. the talk was they're going to overturn Roe Ro, Ro versus yeah, Wade, yeah. So, yes. and they didn't. By, by the way. So look? we have to look at history, and, and that's— and, and
4: Democrats gave no credit to Republican presidents for appointing yes. for for yeah. moderates in those instances. Yes,
0: right. By the way, right. uh, let's talk about some of the nominees. I mentioned before the break one name that's getting a lot of publicity is, uh, is uh, Amy uh, Barrett uh, from uh, Notre Dame. She was a, an associate— Uh, or worked uh, clerk for uh, Anthony Scalia. But, again, uh, she's coming out of the Notre Dame uh, school. I know we have a lot of people listening from South Bend. Amy Coney
4: Barrett is 46 years old. Uh, She's married. She's a mother of seven. So anybody who's the mother of seven takes no guff. (laughs) Um, She uh, uh, went to Notre Dame Law School. She was a student of Charlie Rice. So people listening to you in South Bend know who Charlie Rice was, a great member of that faculty since passed away, alas. She clerked on the United States Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit for Lawrence Silberman, uh, one of the giants of that court, a great judge of that court, and then she clerked for Antonin Scalia at the United States Supreme Court. Better than that, uh, at least on the conservative side of the world, uh, legal pedigree does not get. Uh, President Trump nominated her last year in 2017 for the court that sits here in Chicago, uh, the United States Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit, which covers Indiana, Illinois, and Wisconsin. She was confirmed earlier this year, and uh, she—actually, uh, she was confirmed in—yeah, she was confirmed earlier this year, took her seat, and she's thus far written nine opinions. What was the vote? Uh, the vote was pretty high. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty high, though. Okay. Yeah.
1: What a She what got a, attacked a little bit
4: uh, during her Senate uh, Well, that's the thing. Senate Judiciary. She's a, she's a she Ro- handled she, it well. She's a Roman Catholic, and yes. she was she was attacked uh, pr- pretty, pretty clearly on the yes. basis of her religion yes. and religious views imputed to her by Dick Durbin, of all people, of Illinois, a nominal Catholic at least, and Senator Feinstein of California, who spoke in terms of the extremism of Catholicism and the dangerousness of views associated with Catholicism. I assume that, that, that those are code words for uh, being pro-life, uh, although they didn't spell that out. Well, uh, but but it certainly raised pretty ugly implications that the, that the, at least for Senator Durbin and for Senator Feinstein, the no religious test clause of the United States Constitution is a dead letter. If it is the case that Amy Coney Barrett is the nominee and her nomination is opposed with these scorched earth tactics, yes. this 46-year-old mother of seven, yes. because she's a Catholic, yes. I, think, I think that's an issue on which Repub- Republicans would be delighted to go to the polls. Mike, and by the way, I, th-
1: I think you are absolutely right, and it makes it
4: and, – and if she is the
1: nominee, I think it makes it much more difficult to uh, have a strategy – on how to defeat her nomination. And 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 you're right, it makes it much more difficult to use scorched earth tactics against can, the woman. I would, I, would, it's a I, would with,
3: I would agree with that. I mean, there's going to be a lot of strategy in who's picked and and what's used, but I don't think you're going to end up um, it's going to be as simple as just getting those fifty. Well votes. Again, again just I, think, I mean if you're, this you're, is
0: something that's going to happen in the next sixty days, I mean this this scorched earth tactic or or beating her up uh... is is not going to play well uh... first of all it's difficult for the democrats to be basically beating up on a, a woman but a woman. that's a exactly beating up on a on a conservative right. woman uh, and everybody's a going, woman and a, and a catholic, catholic woman, woman. And but then you're going to go to the polls six weeks later. I mean, this this seems to me you're like the obvious right. pick. But, again, the obvious pick isn't always the right pick. So sure. let's talk about the downside. I mean, you just heard basically two Democrats sort of admit on national radio <laughs> that that she, that she would be the toughest one to beat. Well, unless to, there's something I mean, else. it's always no, – I mean, uh, in,
3: any, in any nomination of this sort, who you pick has a lot to do with how difficult it is to oppose. There, but, but I, I – I still think, I still hold tr- true that if there's a, an extremist selected by the Trump administration, that you are going to get a lot of pushback, even mm-hmm. among Republicans. Well, a well, lot, lot of
0: decisions. By the way, speaking of decisions, I want to make, you know, we, we've talked about war and peace this evening. We didn't talk about North Korea. But, again, the big news that I can report and share with you all is LeBron James is going to the Los Angeles Lakers. That's my really. story. Yes, okay. Okay. I wanted to bring everybody up to date on that. I know you were very important with that, Rosanna. Let's go to calls. Let's go to Tom, listening to us in uh, WPIC out of Sharon, Pennsylvania, talking to the entire country right now. Tom, go ahead.
4: Yeah, fantastic program, Bruce. And I want to wish you and all your guests and your listeners a happy uh, Independence Day. Thank you. Uh, you Two questions. One related to your immediate topic
7: and then another one. Uh, One, will John Roberts be the swing vote? because he did uh, you know, flip on Ob- Obamacare. And then the question, second one is, if Mexico votes to become socialist, will we be seeing a reverse situation where a lot of the
4: pro-Democrat, potential Democrat voters that are Mexican go back to Mexico, and a lot of the capitalistic voters come across the border, and will the Democrats then be crying for a wall on the southern border? <laughs> okay. And uh, I'll, I'll
0: hang up and listen. All right, go ahead. Rosanna, we'll let you tackle that.
2: Um you know when I I spent a year in Mexico I had to read about the history of Mexico and pretty much this is what they said happened all the time you go in you become president you get all the money out of the coffers your term is over the next person comes in so what I see again I'm going to you know be, uh, repeat myself They treat Mexicans so bad that they've got to come here. They don't educate them. They don't take care of them. There's nothing there. They don't take care of the people. And so are they going to go back? No. They're going to stay here and send the money back and create the middle class in Mexico like they have been doing for years.
0: This is a question that uh, was left over from hour number one. I talked about it during the news break. And, again, since most of the recent people coming to the United States are from Honduras, El Salvador, uh, and Guatemala, Uh, And many of them are fleeing violence, uh, MS-13 violence, in their home countries. In your opinion, we know what your position is. Does that represent a legitimate reason to seek asylum?
2: Well, I think that a good explanation was given by Joseph. That, no, uh, you know, because there's problems going on like that in your country is not necessarily – if maybe you were targeted because you ran drugs or whatever it was, maybe, but not as a whole.
0: Joe, quick answer. Ten the, seconds.
4: The, I was just going to say the Mexican election. The polls are closing right now, and there's a, there's a stunner. Obrador, the, the socialist candidate, was far in the lead in the in the in the polls leading up to the election, but the exit polling right now is, is, is showing the conservative candidate Calderon leading by less than a percentage point. It's going to be a very tight, really? very tight election tonight.
0: Tight election. Okay. All right, we'll keep an eye on that. Now that we've told you that LeBron James is going to the Lakers. (laughs) Back shortly from Chicago.
6: Are you headed to Los Angeles looking for the ideal place for you and your family to relax and enjoy yourselves? A place that combines a four-diamond hotel experience with a convenient location? It's the Hilton Los Angeles Universal City. Just steps away from Universal Studios Hollywood, CityWalk, and NBC Studios. Just a short ride to the Hollywood Walk of Fame, TCL Chinese Theater, Warner Brothers, and other popular attractions. Enjoy spacious rooms offering breathtaking views and a world-class Las Vegas-style seafood and prime rib buffet every weekend and holidays. Share family fun and enjoy the oasis of the palm tree-lined pool and whirlpool. Relax in your own private poolside cabana with a cocktail or snack at your fingertips. Book your reservation today at HiltonUniversal.com or call 1-800-774-1500. The Hilton Los Angeles Universal City at HiltonUniversal.com. They let you be the star in Hollywood.
0: Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Thanks very much for joining us. Let's go to Kevin listening to us on KLBJ in Austin, Texas. Kevin, go ahead. Nice to hear from you tonight. Are you there? Are you there, Kevin? Going once, going twice. Let's go to Mike up north in Spokane, Washington. Whoops, I think that was Kevin. Is this Mike? Yeah. Hi, Bruce. Happy Fourth of July. Happy <laughs> Fourth of Happy First of, First of July. Go ahead. Okay. It's kind of goofy Bruce when you have the holidays in the middle of the week.
4: Well, as a matter of fact, we can we can complete the NAFTA trifecta. Uh, 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 Kevin's. I mean. Um, uh, Mike. Mike's, Mike is, Mike's neighbor across the border in uh, in Canada is having its national holiday today. Today's Dominion it's Day for Can- Canadians. Happy, Happy Canada Day. There we
7: go. Absolutely. Go well, out and play hockey. That's a, well, yeah. Well, I'm talking on the Supreme Court if I could. Chris, sure. And sure. Um, my my question is: Where are the where are the constitutional rights for the unborn child? A heartbeat after four weeks, after confession, after conception, medically proved. Uh, Over a million abortions. You know, I was adopted. I was born in Pontiac, Michigan, home of the Michigan Wolverines and Michigan State Spartans, and my chances would be much less today.
0: And if you're disabled, it's very difficult for the unborn child. So where are the constitutional rights for the unborn? Well, uh, that's going to be one of the the issues debated in the next several
4: months. I I certainly think that this would be a a far more humane and obviously humane country if americans at the level of public opinion took the rights of unborn children far more seriously than we do th- th- this this is a discussion and debate worth having and having and having and having until the until the american people become decent on this issue
0: do you joe A question to you you've been involved in this issue in conservative politics for a long long time do you believe that you will ever see roe v wade overturned in your lifetime i do
4: uh, and 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 I, I believe that we are on a trajectory. I, I think I think we're on a glide path uh, to a sea change in public opinion. I think increasingly, Americans in 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 their hearts, in their minds, uh, are getting uncomfortable with abortion on demand. Um, and in the same way that we've seen stunning short-term reversals in popular sentiment on questions such as gay rights, uh, for example, I mean I th- I think. Uh, we will also see stunning, very swift reversals of public... I I think we're always seeing it taking place. Stunning reversals of of, of opinion on the the question of the rights of the unborn.
2: I agree.
0: Do you believe, Michael, that overturning same-sex marriage by the Supreme Court is something that you will see in your life? No. I I don't think... As much as I agree with Joe, that I
1: think the... uh, that we will see Roe versus Wade overturned within the next couple of years. Uh, I think at the same time, I don't think Chief Justice John Roberts will allow himself to preside over a court that will uh, overturn the uh, the legality of same-sex marriage, which has become actually a very popular issue in this country, going the opposite direction of abortion
4: rights. You know, I, I think you're right, Mike, and I, I think... The, the Supreme Court did the country a disservice in taking the question of same-sex marriage out of politics. In this, in this sense, I think that same-sex marriage was on a glide path to success yes. politically. Yes. The American people were turning in that direction. Yes. And, and had the issue not been swept out of politics, grasped, you know, pulled out of, out of the political arena by the court and made a, a legal issue, read into the Constitution, right. which I think cheapened the way in which we read the Constitution... Uh, I think that battle would have been one where it really counts in terms of being winning battles in terms of popular sentiment. I think that's what's happening with abortion. I think it w- w- within, within a short few years we will see the legal battles on abortion are less important than the sentiments of the American people. And I, I think I detect pretty, pretty fundamental, pretty powerful changes. And, I,
3: and, I'm, and I'm with – you know, one thing that's very interesting is Justice Kennedy – is often viewed as as a conservative or a moderate i viewed him i view him more as a libertarian and and the the theme that runs through his issues in my book was you know on the, on the the gay the gay marriage issues and on the woman 's right to determine her own what to do with her own body and, and her and, own, own health care decisions libertarian is a libertarian matter and i think so,
4: it, so is Citizens United, and he wrote, oh, the, so opinion, Citizens, and he wrote well, the opinion on yeah, Citizens United. He did that in the First and, Amendment grounds. And, 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 and maybe, Amendment maybe there's grounds. the unifying theme of the Kennedy jurisprudence. Maybe he is indeed a libertarian. Maybe I that explains that,
3: it all. I think that, yeah. that to me that's what explains it, and, and it, it's why so many people said, well, he was the swing vote. And I, I looked at it, and I said, no, on a lot of these libertarian issues, he wasn't the swing vote. He led the pack. And um, so, so I I look at at Roe versus Wade. I look at uh, gay marriage as things that the libertarian tradition should continue on to allow individuals the liberty to decide these issues on their own for themselves. From
0: from a political standpoint, if uh, if Michael is correct that sometime in the next couple of three years, uh, Roe v. Wade is overturned it is likely it's going to send it back to the states so isn't there going to be an opportunity for women to continue to have abortions again it will require state political involvement I mean but ultimately will that will that not be the law of the state in maybe more than 25 of our but, but that's, that's sad when, I, I know, well, that's sad
3: I, when 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 a woman in Alabama has to, a poor woman in Alabama I has denied health care.
0: I understand that, but I'm am just picking up. If Michael's case is worst case scenario, worst case scenario, the, the backup plan to a worst case scenario is a scenario I've just articulated. It's not a good one. It's not. It's not a great one. But I'm saying it is something. Is it not? It is something. But but but. If, uh, look at
1: Mississippi right now. Where Mississippi now only has one abortion. Ten planet. seconds. All right, and 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 it, and it used to have like 8 8 of them in the state. So, if a woman isn't if it isn't accessible, then then there is no right. Okay. Frankly, to
0: an abortion. Michael Bauer, Jacob Meister, Joseph Morris, Roseanne Polito, thank you all for being with us this evening. Our thanks to Fritz Goldman and Dan Dorfman and Sam Greenberg for the assistance in the production of this program. I hope you have a wonderful celebration of our independence on the 4th of July. We'll see you next Sunday night. Until then, this is Bruce Dumont. Good night from Chicago.
8: Hard enough. Go off the beaten track far enough. You'll find an America teeming with the unusual, the odd, the downright strange. I'm Will Klinger, and I'm your guide on a package tour we like to call Wild Travels. Join us on our weekly road trip to see America's most offbeat and unusual attractions. Wild Travels, available on your local PBS station, or it darn well should be. Live
0: from Chicago,
8: it's Saturday Night Live, the experience.
0: Tuesday through Sundays and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv.
5: Everyone loves vacationing in Florida, so why not experience it as it was meant to be? Where turquoise gulf waters meet tranquil island beaches. Feel the powder-soft sand between your toes. Revel in a glorious island sunset. Shop the boutiques of a seaside village. Ride horseback along tranquil waters. This is Bradenton, Anna Maria Island, Longboat Key. Real, authentic Florida, where you can discover an intimate downtown and sip cappuccino at a sidewalk cafe. Catch fresh fish for dinner. Even tour a working winery. Just minutes from all the rest Florida has to offer. Bradenton, Anna Maria Island, Longboat Key. Plan your visit online at BradentonGolfIslands.com. That's BradentonGulfIslands.com
6: are you headed to los angeles looking for the ideal place for you and your family to relax and enjoy yourselves a place that combines a four diamond hotel experience with a convenient location It's the Hilton Los Angeles Universal City. Just steps away from Universal Studios Hollywood, CityWalk, and NBC Studios. Just a short ride to the Hollywood Walk of Fame, TCL Chinese Theater, Warner Brothers, and other popular attractions. Enjoy spacious rooms offering breathtaking views and a world-class Las Vegas-style seafood and prime rib buffet every weekend and holidays. Share family fun and enjoy the oasis of the palm tree-lined pool and whirlpool. Relax in your own private poolside cabana with a cocktail or snack at your fingertips. Book your reservation today at HiltonUniversal.com or call 1-800-774-1500. The Hilton Los Angeles Universal City at HiltonUniversal.com. They let you be the star in Hollywood.